Our first reading is from Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the word of the Lord. So today is Pentecost, a huge celebration for us in the church. And when we remember, as I said, the coming of the Holy Spirit in a new way, in a way that hadn't been experienced before. So a lot of people ask, who is the Holy Spirit? We can understand Father and Son, but understanding who is the Holy Spirit is sometimes a little bit more complex. The first thing to say is that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. We do think of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God, and God manifesting himself in a way that's different to the other parts of the Godhead. And we celebrate today the coming of the Holy Spirit in a new way because the Holy Spirit had always been around. If the Holy Spirit is part of God, then by very nature, the Holy Spirit has always existed. And at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, the very first chapters, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So right at the beginning of creation, the Holy Spirit was there. But in Acts, after Jesus has died, risen and ascended, the Holy Spirit comes in a new way, in a fresh and different way. And in a way that Jesus has already promised. He'd been saying to his disciples, I'm going to be leaving you, but I will come back and I will send my Holy Spirit, as a comforter, to be with you. So this is what the disciples had been waiting for. They might not have realised quite what it was they were waiting for. But here they are, in an upper room, when a violent wind comes through. We had a violent thunderstorm the other night. Can you imagine the strength of nature pouring through that room, a violent wind, and what looked like tongues of fire coming to rest upon them? something dramatic, hugely inspiring, and realizing that something was definitely happening. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, and they're able to speak in different languages. So one way of understanding the Holy Spirit is to think of, it, of him as God at work in us, empowering us to do God's work. And there are different images of the Holy Spirit to help us understand him. A dove, we often see a picture of a dove. Water, fire, wind. Today I want to think a little bit about wind and the characteristics of wind. Wind is an unseen power. We can't see wind, but we can see its effect. Would you like to come and help me? Poppy. This is just some sticky liquid but you put some wind into it. We see something. Thank you very much. We can't see the wind. Couldn't see Poppy's breath. I've got your name right, haven't I? Poppy, yeah. Couldn't see her breath. 
but we could see the effect of it. And they're still there, those beautiful bubbles, filled with air, filled with wind. The wind itself is unseen, but we can see the effect and the power that it has. It's also slightly uncontrollable. You didn't know where those bubbles were going to land. We can't control where the wind goes. We see our trees swaying in the wind. We can't harness it. Well, some people try to harness the wind. I'm not going to get into the science, but generally speaking, when the wind is blowing, we can't control where it goes. By itself, the wind has its own journey that we can't control. It's a bit like opening up a window and the wind will come in and we can't control what it will do with the papers on our desk. Mess them all around, move them about. And the Holy Spirit is like that. It's unseen. It's uncontrollable. We can't be in charge of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves as God wishes. And it's unstoppable. God doesn't ever let us down. Once he's begun a work in us, he continues. So the Holy Spirit, a mighty power, like a violent wind, like a gentle breeze at times. God at work within us, equipping us and empowering us to do his work in an unseen way. Sometimes it feels like in an uncontrollable way and in an unstoppable way. Today we celebrate the power of the Holy Spirit. And a little bit later in the service, we're going to look at an example further on in Acts of what that might look like in practice when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to work and do God's work what that looks like. The second reading is taken from Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But 
the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry out to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. It's a very, very dramatic story. And we're going to try and understand just how dramatic it really was and why it was so dramatic and what happened to Paul. This is the story of Saul and his conversion. Later, he's known as Paul. But in this passage, he's still known as Saul. So who was Saul? He was a Jew. He was born in Tarsus, but he was a Roman citizen. And this gave him some status in the region. The fact that he was Roman gave him an entry into various places, gave him a position of authority, an important man, and his family probably had some influence. He was a zealous member of the Pharisee party, and the Pharisees were the the people who were very keen on keeping the law, keeping the Jewish law, strict rule keepers, and he was an incredibly strong Pharisee, determined to make sure that all the Jews kept the rules because they, they were so um, wanting to worship and honour God that they felt the way to do that was to keep the law as closely and as tightly as possible. We sometimes give the Pharisees a bad name, but actually they were just doing what they felt was right. There was a law, and they wanted people to keep it as closely as possible. So he was one of those, and a very strong and zealous member. And we know that he was against the followers of Jesus. He was unhappy about this uprising of people who were saying that they'd met and known Jesus. He'd been present at the stoning of Stephen earlier in the book of Acts. Stephen is the first Christian martyr. And Saul was there watching. And it says he approved of his death. So he wasn't very pro the Christian people. He wasn't very pro Jesus. And at the beginning of chapter 9... He's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. It's really strong language. It's not just, we're not very happy about what they're doing. He was totally against them, breathing out murderous threats. And he wanted to go to Damascus because he wanted to find more of the followers, to pull them out of hiding and to have them imprisoned. So he's on his way. And as he goes, something incredible happens. 
He's thrown to his knees and he meets the risen Jesus in a vision. And as a result, his life is totally transformed. And he ends up as the greatest early missionary, taking the news, the good news of Jesus around the known world. And he ends up writing much of the New Testament. So his journey is from someone who is so against this new way of thinking that he wants to kill those believers and followers of Jesus. He wants to round them up, bring them out of hiding and have them imprisoned. And he ends up being the greatest advocate for Jesus. So let's try and understand what went on. What led him from being that, that man to the man he became. He's blinded on the road to Damascus. And he's taken into the city to be looked after. He's completely helpless. He can't do anything for himself. Meanwhile, God is speaking to a man called Ananias, a holy and devout man. And God says to Ananias, I want you to go and to find Saul. I want you to restore his sight. Now you can imagine Ananias' response when God first said, I want you to go and find Saul. Because he would have known who Saul was. He was probably in hiding himself. And here was God saying, I want you to go and find this most feared man. That if you speak to him, he'll probably have you imprisoned and possibly sentenced to death. But I want you to go because he's blind and I'm working in him. And you are going to be the means by which his sight is restored. God chose the right person because Ananias did as God asked His faith was so strong and his trust in God so secure that he did as God asked. And then in Acts 9, 17, we read this. Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the encounter that Saul has is with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. There are two parts to this transformation. He meets the risen Christ. And we've spent time since Easter thinking about how important it was for those encounters with the risen Christ when Jesus' followers following um, Easter Day met the risen Christ and how important that was. Paul met the risen Christ in a vision But he met and knew that he had seen face to face the risen Christ. And the encounter also requires the experience of the Holy Spirit. An infilling, an indwelling of the Holy Spirit upon Saul to transform him and to allow God to work within him. And in verse 20, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. What a huge transformation. We talk about God transforming us, but we don't expect such a radical transformation. From somebody who hated those followers of Jesus to someone who immediately was speaking in the synagogues. I can only imagine that God was working through his spirit so much within him that he gave him the words to say, because how would he know what to say? 
He's only just encountered the risen Christ. And yet he's able immediately to go into the synagogues and to preach, to preach truths and the message of who Jesus is. The power of the Holy Spirit working through him, giving him the words to speak, to teach, to inspire, to challenge. And it's incredible that having rejected everything, he then stands and proclaims that Jesus is Lord. That's how God works. We are filled with the Spirit in order to do his work. And that act of being filled is crucial, not just once, but ongoing. We cannot do God's work in our own strength, only in God's strength. And sometimes that experience of being filled will be dramatic, like Saul. That sense of complete and utter turning round of our lives, knowing that there's been irrevocable change. We've met with Jesus, we've been filled with the Spirit, and the transformation is so extreme that it could only have come through that amazing encounter. But more often than not, it's much more gentle, but still transformative, because we believe that the Holy Spirit works within us so that we might do God's work, so that we might become more and more the people that God has called us to be and made us to be. So sometimes it will be a violent wind, but more often than not, it's a gentle breeze, strong enough for us to know it's there because we see the effect. We see the impact of what the Holy Spirit is doing within us. We know that it's not in our strength. We cannot be doing these things but only through the power of the Spirit. Without the Spirit, we're powerless, a bit like that bubble mixture. It's pretty sticky, pretty useless. But when we blow, it becomes those beautiful bubbles. So God takes us, pretty sticky and pretty useless, and blows his Holy Spirit into us so that we might become tools and instruments of his work. How can we know that infilling of the Holy Spirit? It's promised, we read about it, and we read incredible stories of Saul, who became Paul, who travelled on missionary journeys, converting so many people. We can read stories of people today whose lives have been utterly transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But often we can sit and think, what about me? How can I know that power in my own life? And actually all we need to do is to ask. Because Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit for his disciples living then, but for those from there on after to know his power at work through them. And so we can, as individuals and as a church, know the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our own lives. And all we simply need to do is ask. Recognize that we can't do things in our own strength. But say, Holy Spirit, come, fill me, empower me to do what you would have me do, to become the person you have made me and have created me to be. Let's just sit for a moment and and be quiet. I'm going to pray a prayer and then we can just sit in quietness and just think through the areas in our own lives where we long to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work.
It's not a one-off. It's continual. Our need to be filled with the Spirit. So let's pray. Breath of the living God. Wind of the Spirit. Blow through me. Currents of holy wind. Rush through my being. Holy Spirit, blow through me.